Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. All right. Well, uh, good morning, Freedom Church. How are we doing this morning? We doing good? Hey, I just want to do something real quick. Wasn't that just an anointed word? From Pastor O.C. earlier, we're so thankful. I'm so thankful you're on the team. That was just such a special moment at the end of worship. I was so, it was just exciting to, right, to just be able to like be in the presence of God together. Wasn't that just great? Uh, I'm so, I'm so excited. Such an honor, as always, to be with you guys here this morning. And uh, I'm so grateful for Pastor Benito to giving me the opportunity to share a word uh, that I believe the Lord's placed on my heart for this specific season of prayer and fasting. And I have a quick question for you this morning. What is the first thing you think about when you think about prayer? I know for me, uh, probably the first thing that I think about is how, uh, oh, is this, is this off? Is this off? It's, it's on? It's on here. Do oh, it's just fun. Okay, let's try that. Let's just try, look at that. Look at that. See, it all works out at the end of the day anyway. Oh, look at, oh, look, oh, it's fun, <laughs> right? It's great. It's great. Okay, what's the first thing you think about when you think about prayer? I know probably the first thing that I think about when I think about prayer is probably how, uh, I should have prayed harder last week for the Dallas Cowboys because what was that, right? What was that at the end? You're going to tell me Dak runs the ball? No, that was ridiculous. Apparently, I should have prayed more specifically for better guidance, better wisdom there or something. Uh, that's what I think about. I think, man, I should have, should have done better there. Um, maybe, I'm guessing all the Packers fans in the room are like, yeah, we probably should have prayed harder here too. Um, no, that's all right. That's all right. Hey, we're joining together. We'll grieve together. That's fine. Um, Maybe for some of you, oh, look at that. Now that's what we like to see right there. <laughs> look at, see, we're rolling. We're moving. It's great. It's great. Maybe for some of you, when you think about prayer, the first thing you think about, like the main prayer you think about is that like pre-meal prayer. You know what I'm talking about? Like right before you eat, you got that pre-meal. Does anybody, have you memorized your like pre-meal prayer? Like, you know, like, look, don't lie to me and say, no, I pray every time it's individual. No, we all have our pre-meal prayer that we've memorized. It's a go-to every time we eat. And I'll tell you mine, right? This is mine. For my whole life, this has always been my pre-meal prayer. Are you ready? Dear God, look at that. You got to start off great. Thank you, Lord, for this meal. Bless the hands we prepared it. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Look, short, sweet, simple. It's great. And, of course, that's usually how it goes, unless I'm hungry. Right? And if you're really hungry or if you really want this meal, it's less of like that, and it goes more like this. Dear Lord, thank you for the listening to prayers. Jesus, I pray, amen. All right, you got to do it fast. You got to do it fast, because if it's not fast, you're trying to get to the meal faster. If you don't really like the meal, you might start to add a little more things in there saying, well, thank you for this day. Thank you. No, but if it's a good meal, you're going straight into it. You're going straight into it. And uh, I guess it just depends on how much you want to eat. And maybe for you this morning, you're like, you know what? I love prayer. Prayer's great. It's awesome. But maybe you're sitting here and you think that, well, maybe prayer's just something that's not for you. I feel like sometimes we just don't pray. And, and here's a couple reasons why I believe that we don't pray. The first is complacency. Maybe you just think that you don't really need to pray. You might be content with your life at the moment, and you feel like there's really just no purpose in it. I'm kind of good where I'm at now, so, so I don't need to pray. Maybe, maybe if times get worse, that's when I'll pray, but I'm good now. Secondly, I, I think it's unbelief. We think that prayer really doesn't do anything. That Well, yeah, maybe God can do some things, but at the end of the day, like, ah, 
I don't need that. Why, why would I spend time praying when I could spend that same amount of time trying to fix it myself? And that leads us into the third thing. It's pride. We think that we can take care of it. At the end of the day, we believe that everything that we're doing in our lives, we're in charge. So, so why should it matter about praying? We got it, right? And lastly, I think this is probably the most prominent one in our culture. It's discouragement. You've prayed about something, and you've prayed about it again and again and again, and there was a time in your life where you sat down and you really prayed about it, and it felt like nothing happened. So you've gotten to a point where you say, well, I did it once, it didn't work, why should I keep going? But what if today we started to prioritize prayer in our lives? This is what James 5.16 says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And if we're going to have powerful and effective prayers, I think it's important that we look at someone who had powerful and effective prayers. And a, a certain person that comes to mind is Elijah. And this morning, I want to go over a story of how Elijah prayed a powerful and effective prayer, and it changed people's lives. So if you want to open up your Bibles to 1 Kings, we're going to be starting at chapter 18, starting at verse 20. So that's 1 Kings, chapter 18, verse 20. And while you're finding that, I'd love to set up exactly what's going on in this story. You see, Israel had been split up into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And in this northern kingdom, they had had these continuous different kind of kings that would walk in. And all of them weren't great guys. They were pretty bad. And what they would do is they would start to bring in greed. They'd start to bring in lust. And they'd start to bring in all these different idols for the people of Israel to worship. So there weren't kings. That, there were people that were supposed to follow these kings. And the leaders weren't very great. So what God did is in this time when there were so many idols, he sent in prophets. And the prophets would be his voice to his people. And one of these prophets was named Elijah. And in this story, we get to see Elijah as he challenges these priests of one of these idols that they served. His name's Baal. And they get to see, well, which God is real? And the story starts on top of a mountain. So this is 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. I love that, right? Like Elijah's just like, like you got a picture. Like this guy's like so low. All these people are against him. And like he says one line. Nobody says nothing. It's great. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. So get two bulls for us. Let, let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set it on fire. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood and not set it on fire. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Now what's pretty interesting about what's going on right here is two things. First off, and in, in, in what the Lord does, what symbolizes fire, it symbolizes God's presence. So what would have happened with the burning bush, it symbolized that God's presence was there. So, so Elijah would have said, okay, by having fire come down on the altar, this would mean that God's presence is there. But for these false priests, the God of Baal was a God of fire and lightning. So they believed that if there was fire and lightning, that meant that Baal was present. So we get to this place where he says, well, if your God's real, why wouldn't fire come down from him too? Then all the people said, and this is just, you know you got them. He said, what you say is good. What you say is good. No, they just got set up bad. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light it on fire. So they took the bull given, uh, given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. They danced around the altar they had made. 
And this is, I think this might, might be one of my favorite parts of the story. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Look at these you guys are just dancing around this altar. Look, this is one guy versus 450 guys. And he's just, I like to picture like he's standing in the corner and he just starts like taunting them a little bit while they're doing this. And he says, shout louder. He said, surely he is God. He is deep in thought. Or is he busy? Is he traveling? Maybe he's sleeping. Is he a little sleepy time? Does somebody need a little wakey-wakey action? No. He's sitting there taunting them. I love it. He's challenging these false prophets about which God is real. And when nothing is happening, he begins to just start taunting them. I kind of feel like Elijah's kind of like the Michael Jordan of prophets, if I must say so myself. It's kind of like the equivalent of like, you know that scene where MJ's at the free throw line and he looks over at all these guys that are mad at him and he just goes <laughs> and makes it anyway? Just like taunting them. I think it's great. You got Elijah with the Mamba mentality here at the end. I love it. All right? But let's continue. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I pray that in our lives and in what we do from here on out, Lord, we will not just pray, just to pray, Lord, but I pray that, that we'll have effective, powerful prayers Lord, that through this story, through what Elijah did, Lord, we can walk away with something better than what we had walked in with. And we pray for that in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. See, the first thing we learn from this story is that effective prayer prioritizes God's will. Effective prayer prioritizes God's will. Look at what these false prophets were doing. They had come to a place where they were trying to make their God do something for them. They danced, they cut themselves, they did everything in their power to summon their God. It's interesting, in the Hebrew verb that's used here, it's, it's a very rare Hebrew verb, it's called pasach, which means limp, is used in two different areas in this text. One, when the false priests were dancing around the altar, right, right there at the end, and one in the beginning when Elijah begins to say, which, which God are you wavering between? It's almost as if you had all these false prophets and it's like they kind of knew what they were doing was wrong. They couldn't fully decide. Elijah comes in and says, well, are you going to choose the Lord? Or are you going to choose Baal? Which one are you going to choose? And they couldn't say anything because a part of them wanted to be with the Lord, but a part of them also wanted to be with Baal too. And here's the thing. If we are going to have effective prayers, we can't waver between what we want and what God wants. We can't be walking into what our next purpose is. We can't be walking into prayers thinking, well, God, I want to be for your will. I want to do what you want me to do. But at the same time, I kind of want to do what I want to do. See, authentic, effective prayer will always prioritize God's will. Always. When I was 12 years old, um, I had the worst summer of my life. It was awful. It was the worst summer ever. Um, so my parents, they're missionaries. So I grew up uh, overseas. I was born in Leidschendam in the Netherlands in Europe. But there was a brief period of time between the ages of 10 and 13 years old where my family lived in the United Kingdom. Uh, we lived in the country of Wales, just like Jonah. And I expected nobody to laugh at that joke except Steve. I love it. I expected nobody to laugh at that joke. It was great. But I love it, so I was going to say it anyway. We lived in Wales. Okay, not just like Jonah, but no. The country just called Wales. It's great. And we lived in this small little neighborhood. And, and kind of it was almost like in the midst of this valley. And there was this great hill where there was a school on top of the hill. So every day uh, to go to school, we would all walk up the hill and go to school. So there was a small neighborhood in the middle of the valley, and a lot of my friends lived in that neighborhood too, so I became really close to them. And one day during the summer, I want to say it was like mid-June, 
All of my friends got together and uh, they came to my door and one of my friends, his name's James, came up to me and said, hey, you know, it's around like noon, I'd say. He says, hey, why don't, why don't you go out? We'll go to the park that's in the neighborhood and we'll just play soccer for a little bit. Something in Europe, that's all they do. They only just play soccer, that's it. And I was like, heck yeah, it's the summer. There's nothing else to do, why not? So I uh, gave, you ever, you know, like when you open the door, your friends ask to do something, but your parents are there. So you kind of do like the quick glance of like, you know, and my parents are like, yes, you can go, you can go, uh, just, look, you can go, just come back in a few hours, just to check in on us, and, and you'll be good, and I was like, great, so we went out, went to the park, started playing around, playing soccer, and it was great, and all of a sudden, my friend James just, he had a brilliant idea, right, we're getting done, we're like tired, we're worn out, and he says, okay, we could be done, but what if, what if we go back to my house, we can get all the guys together, and we can have a FIFA tournament on playing Xbox. Why don't we do that together? And of course, we're like, it's the summer. Of course we're doing that. Let's go. So we got all the boys together, went over to his house. He was in the same neighborhood. It wasn't so far away from my house. We got together. We started playing. This was probably around like 4 o'clock, and we just started playing all night. We were hanging out. His mom made us like pizza or something. We were eating fun, great time, and it was all great, and I was ready to be like, well, it's getting pretty late. I should probably go home, and James's mom walks into the room, and when he walks in the room, she goes, uh, hey, Michael, uh, your parents need you home now, and I was like, I was kind of confused, because I was like, I was just about to go, like, come on, <laughs> why are you doing that to me? Like, were you trying to embarrass me in front of all of my friends? What are you doing? And then it hit me. I never checked back in with them. You ever have that? See, all, all of like maybe the younger people, people who don't have kids are like, dang, dude, man, that's, that's tough. I've been there. And all of the parents in the room went, you did what? You went to somebody else's house and didn't check in with your parents? What are you doing? And I looked down at my phone, and it's the infamous, see, I had an Android. I didn't have an iPhone back in the day. So I don't even know how many missed calls from my mom and dad there were. I just know that I could just keep scrolling, and it never ended. It was awful. I walked home. And I got in, and I was ready to open the door and be like, you know, get that, like, what were you thinking, and get grounded for a little bit. But they were, like, so, it was like a weird combination of they were, like, stressed, frustrated, mad, happy to see me. And I found out when I got home that they had thought I got kidnapped. So what had happened is they had walked back to the park after a few hours when it started getting dark, and there was nobody around. And they had no idea where I went. They had called all these different parents in the neighborhood. Nobody had any idea. And they told me the last person they called before they were going to call the police was James's mom. They were like, we have no idea that we're freaking out. And uh, nevertheless, I got grounded for the rest of the summer. It was awful. It was terrible. It was a terrible summer. But see, what had happened was I was distracted by something. I had walked into this scene, and, and I was surrounded by something that was fun. It was great that I had gotten distracted by what my true purpose was. You see, I was distracted by fun, but I forgot that my main priority was to be to honor my parents. I was distracted by something else, and, and I was lost in this place where the main relationship that I was supposed to sustain in this moment was not the one with my friends, it was the one with my parents. And the thing is, I think the people of Israel got in the same way. They had all these kings that were leading them, and they introduced idols, they introduced greed, they introduced lust, they introduced all these things that would satisfy the flesh part of them that they forgot that their main relationship priority was supposed to be with God. And they had come to the place where they thought that there were these things that could satisfy and they ultimately left behind the only thing that could satisfy. You see, when we begin to pray, it reestablishes our focus on the Lord. 
When we begin to have effective prayer, it prioritizes how we should put away with what we may want and hold on to what God wants. When we begin to pray God's will, we realize that it's not about us doing something good for him to answer our prayers. You see, the people of Baal had come to a point where they were sitting there and they were cutting themselves, they were hurting themselves. You know why? Because they believed that they had to work up something and do everything in their power to get their God to come to them. They thought that, okay, maybe, maybe if I cut myself, maybe if I can make myself bleed, maybe that will satisfy what this God wants from me. Maybe if I can walk around, dance, and show him my praise, then he'll come down to me. But do you know what's so good about our God is when every other religion tries to get around and say, you know what, I'm going to work to come to my God. Our God said, you're not going to be able to do the work. Why don't I do the work and come down to you? Why don't I come to the work and go down to you? And what happens is when we begin to prioritize prayer and we begin to prioritize God's will, and we begin to pray according to what God wants, we can begin to pray according to what God can do. See, the first thing we learn about effective prayer through this story is that effective prayer prioritizes God's will. The second thing we learn is that effective prayer is full of expectancy. I love what happens next in this story. This is verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, so the, the priests of Baal, they had done their little party thing, nothing happened. And he says, all right, my turn. He says, come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes uh, of the descendants of, of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. This is great. So let's just take a little brief pause moment here. Elijah wants this to catch on fire. And he gets it all set up. And then he pours water on it. That's kind of weird, right? But you think, look, Elijah's a smart guy. Okay, he pours the water on once. Cool, what, what not, right? Then he goes, do it again. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. And then you're like, okay, that was cool. Good, good stuff. Then he says, do it a third time. He ordered. And they did it a third time. And the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench that was around the altar. What's cool about this story is the use of water after Elijah repairs the altar. What's cool is that the, the altar of the Lord, you see that it was kind of diminished. So before he does anything, he repairs that. And he gets this water. Now, here's the thing. If it were me, and I had just like, have you ever like taunted somebody and then it's your turn and you kind of get like a little nervous, right? Like if it were me and I had just taunted 450 people, I don't know if I would have been so confident. Like he was mad confident in what he was doing. Like he was confident enough that something was supposed to catch on fire, he puts water on. In fact, he puts so much water on it that it floods around the altar as well because Elijah is trying to show that there would be no possible way that this thing could naturally catch on fire. He didn't want any excuses to be used. He didn't want anybody to say, well, there was this thing that's going on. Well, maybe you played this trick. He wanted it to be so natural in a way that it could only catch on fire by the Lord's doing. And what's cool about this story is there's not a moment where Elijah believes that God's not able to do it. See, Elijah had an expectation of what his gods can do, what his God could do. And I believe that sometimes our prayer life, we have an expectation to it. You see... I feel like some of our prayer lives, you might look at this and, and you kind of see it as half empty. If this was your prayer life right here, and you say, you know what, my, Michael, my prayer life's kind of pessimistic. 
you know, I, I've prayed for things before and they haven't happened, so I don't really do it all the time. I don't really see the purpose in it. I don't, you know, I, I've tried it before. It hasn't worked, so why would I do it again? And, and, you know, every once in a while I feel bad, so I pray, but I don't make it a regular thing. It's just, it's just kind of half empty. But maybe you're on the flip side. And you would say, you know what? My, my, my prayer life's actually half full. Actually, every once in a while, I, I really enjoy to pray. It's fun. And, and you know, every, every once in a while off in a blue moon, I, I feel bad about something, so I pray about it, and I feel good afterwards. It's great. So, so it's, all, it's not all the way up, but, but it's good. And maybe you would say you're half full. And then maybe some of you, you'd say, you know what? My prayer life, it's not half empty. It's not half full. But in fact, my prayer life, it's full, man. Look at that. It is full. It's full all the way up. You might say, you know what, I've been praying and fasting a lot over these past two weeks, and it just feels good. You know, I do it a lot. I've been doing it more and more, and, and you know what, I've been regularly praying for my family. <laughs> I've been regularly praying for, for, for my job, my career, my growth. I've been praying for everything, and it's good. And what I want to tell you is this is awesome. It's awesome that you're in a place where if you went from half full and now you're full, that's great. But the thing is, when you're only full in your cup, the cup has a limitation. You see that the cup has a limitation. And the thing is, what if, what if, instead of being full, there was something greater? And instead of just praying for the things where you say, you know what, God, I'm tired of praying for the things that I want. I'm tired of praying for the things in my life where, you know what, I'm tired of praying that my job will be good. I'm tired of just praying that my family will be good. I'm tired of praying for the things that I want. And when you get to that point, the Lord comes in and he says, you know what? I'm going to unroot you from what you may want. And it may be difficult. It may be challenging. You may go through a tough season doing that. But I'm going to unroot you. And you know what? I'm going to plant you into something that's outside of your limitations. And I'm going to plant you in my presence. And what happens when we begin to pray, not in our own limitations, the whole thing gets flooded. And everything goes around. You know why? Because it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. God begins to say, you know what? Those things that you were praying about, about that prodigal son or daughter that everybody told you, nothing can happen. You don't have to pray in your own limitations anymore. You can pray through me, and it will be overflowing. And what we get is a picture where our prayers start being bold and effective because we stop believing that we have to be the ones to answer them. We start praying for great things. Instead of just praying for our friends that we know, we start praying that there will be a revival in Round Rock. Instead of just praying, well, you know what, I hope my job's good. You say, no, God, you know what, I want to do your will in my job, and I'm going to be effective in my job because I want others in my job to know Christ. And you start praying, you know what, God, I'm not just going to sit here and pray that my family knows you. No, I'm going to start praying that the nation knows you because we're overflowing with something else. See, here's the thing, friends. Here's the thing. When we stop praying in the limitations of ourselves and start praying in the limitations of our God, anything can happen. See, Elijah prayed and sought out God and knew that God didn't have any limitations. So it's despite flooding the altar to where it seemed like it could never catch on fire, he knew that his God could still move. And then we get to see a great moment because God answers Elijah's prayer. What's crazy is my favorite part of the story is not like this great moment with, with the fire and the altar. It's not the awesome miracle that happens with the altar. 
It's the awesome miracle that happens with the people. Look what happens in verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and have done all things in your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that the people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. At the end, at the end of Elijah's prayer, it wasn't, it wasn't God so, so you could show that you're greater than all of them. It wasn't God so you can, just, you can just ruin them, so you could show and embarrass all of them. It was, no, God, so that they'll know you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, and it burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. In a surreal moment, the power of God shone in a mighty way. God doesn't just want the sacrifice, but he burns up the altar. He doesn't just want what's on top. He wants the altar. He wants the wood. He wants the water around it. He wants everything. And what's interesting is I feel like if this was like a Hollywood movie, like this would be like the perfect moment where all of these, like this mighty thing happens, and then all these like false priests of Baal would look at Elijah and be like, so I guess you win. Like, this is kind of awkward now. Like, you didn't have to embarrass us, or I guess you're the good guy. And in a moment where it seemed like Elijah would get praise, the Lord really gets praise. And we see this powerful moment where because of Elijah's prayer, God moves, and when God moves, people come to realize that he is Lord. You see, effective prayer prioritizes God's will. Effective prayer is full of expectancy, and effective prayer brings others to Jesus. Effective prayer brings out to Jesus. When you begin to pray into God's will, you find that his heart is for people to know him. I, I want to take a moment, and I'm going to brag. I'm going to brag on your students real quick. All right, can I do that? Is that all right? I think we're going to do that anyway, even if you didn't say no. Um, we're going to do it real quick. So in August of this past year, our team got together, and we decided that we wanted to raise $10,000 for Speed the Light. Right? Now, what Speed the Light is, it's a, it's a ministry organization that helps resource uh, missionaries. So it provides them with cars, it provides them with vehicles, it provides them with anything that they could possibly need so they can effectively spread the gospel. And it's this great missions organization. So we got together and we said, okay, this is August. By the end of the year, it would be amazing if we could raise $10,000 for Speed the Light. Five months. And here's what I want to tell you. Don't you ever believe a lie that the Lord's not working in the next generation? There's going to be a lie that you might hear that says, well, you know what? Christianity's falling off, and it keeps on going lower and lower and lower. God, does, like, God doesn't care anymore. He doesn't care about this next generation. Don't you dare believe that. Because I could tell you story after story after story about how God's presence has flown into kids' hearts, and they begin to do amazing things that we could have never seen done. We introduced this idea one week, Right? said, okay, we're going to raise $10,000 for Speed of Light. And I have stories of students like Marcelino. He's my little guy. He's awesome. About him, and, and he comes up this next week, and I, was, I raised I was like, dude, it's $10,000. It's a lot for kids to raise in five months. And he comes up the next week, and he says, hey, Pastor Michael, um, yeah, ever since you introduced, uh, like, wanting to give money to missions, I, uh, I, I went home, and I asked all of my family if they would want to give me money to donate. <laughs> And he asked his whole family, and he brought me like 150 bucks. He was like, so here you go, I want, I want, to, do, I want to give this to Speed the Light. It was awesome. I was like, dude, heck yeah. But what's so cool is he did that every week. He brought my money every week, every week. He would, he would show up at the end of the message, like everybody else would go and hang out and do stuff, and he'd come up to me and be like, hey, Pastor Michael, I got that money for Speed the Light. 
It was awesome. Love it. And it, it, makes, it gets me hyped every time. I have stories of, uh, of, of a girl named Noelle in, in our youth group. And she comes up to me after a service and says, hey, hey, Pastor Michael, I've been working at IHOP a lot. And I have a lot of money saved into my checking. And I, and I feel like the Lord wants me to empty all that out and give it to missions. There's stories like that where God's working in the next generation. There's stories like Elaine. We got to a point, and this is what's so cool. We got to a point right towards the middle of December where we were at about like $9,250 that we had raised. And we had $750 left. And I was like, okay, God, we're so close. We're right there. And I have stories of, of girls like Elaine that text me after service and say, hey, I was praying and I want to give everything in my savings to missions. And right then and there, she gave $500 of all the money that she saved. She gave it to missions. And I can proudly say that we raised that goal. We reached that goal in five months. We reached that goal, yeah. See, here's what's great. My dad would always say this to me. He said, the greatest lie of the enemy is that God wants to do great things somewhere else. And what I want to tell you is that we have story after story of great things that students want to do because they want to see others know Christ just like they know Christ. Something that we're doing at the end of February, it's called the Collide Conference. Because here's the thing, I think there's twofold. One part of it is giving to missions because we want to see the world know Christ, but how many of you know that there's people in the city that don't know Christ? And one of the things that we want to do is challenge students and activate them in their faith to spread the gospel in their schools. Because here's the thing, when we talk about prayers that are overflowing, that are bold, something that God truly gave me, and I've been praying through it throughout this whole year, is that God would bring a mighty revival throughout this city, not from me, but from these students. That it wouldn't be from us, that I wouldn't get glory from it, I wouldn't, no. I want our students to lead something. I want our students to be in a place where they usher in the next revival. And we're doing something called the Collide Conference at the end of February, where we're going to be bringing in speakers, doing everything we can to help activate our students in their faith to spread the gospel to their friends, spread the gospel to their families, spread the gospel to their communities. And if that's something that you would like to be a part of, you would say, Michael, I'd love to be a part of what's going on in the next generation. I would love to be a part of helping lead these next generations and ushering in the next great revival in this nation. Please come talk to me afterwards. Because I could tell you story after story where it's not just, hey, we don't just come together and just have fun, but life change is happening. People are coming to know Jesus because of it. You see, if we're going to be people of true, effective prayer, we need to realize what's the purpose of your prayer. In fact, I'd, ask, I'd like to ask you a question. Who is coming to know Christ through your prayers? Are you simply just praying just for yourself? <laughs> One of the best things about Elijah's prayer is the last thing he does, he says, God, do this so they can know you. Pastor B told me this. He said, if all your prayers in the last year were answered, would the world change or just your world change? If we're going to be people of prayer, if we're going to start having effective prayer, we have to stop believing that the whole purpose of prayer is that our lives can change. But we want to start doing God's will. We want to start prioritizing what God wants. And maybe today you're saying, well, Michael, that's great. I love to just pray an effective, bold prayer. That's cool. But I feel like I've done that before and nothing's happened. And one of the best things that happens in Elijah's life is that right after this great moment, you know what he does? 
he goes back and finds a quiet place and prays again. Because here's the thing. If you're going to have effective prayer, yeah, there's going to be bold moments where God wants to do something right now. But maybe a part of it too says, hey, I kind of want you to go back and just be with me. If we're going to become a people of prayer, if we're going to have effective prayer in our lives, it's not something that only happens simultaneously at one moment. Sometimes it's something that's consistent too. Sometimes it's the moments where you get quiet and alone and say, you know what, God, I want to be with you. I want to see what you do. And maybe you're like, okay, that's great for Elijah, who was a prophet. I'm not a prophet. Well, I have great news for you as well. Because look at what James 5, verse 17 says. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Elijah was a human being, just like you and me. He experienced all the same emotions that we did, had the same temptations we did. Elijah's life shows us that you don't have to be perfect to pray. You don't have to be perfect to pray. And even in Elijah's imperfections, his prayers were still answered. Do you know what's interesting is that the only perfect person to ever pray, do you know that one of his answers were unanswered? One of his prayers were unanswered? See, Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane that if it was possible that the cup of God's wrath would pass from him, and his prayer wasn't answered. It didn't. God's wrath was poured out onto Jesus. You know why? So that we could have a relationship with him. And because of Christ's prayers being unanswered, you know what we get to do? We now get to pray powerful and effective prayers that do become answered. And you might look and say, okay, what, so I have to be a righteous person? What, like, what do I need to do to have my prayers answered? And here's the thing. When it says that you're a righteous person, it's not about your righteousness. You don't have to pray prayers and think, okay, well, I got to get my life all set and ready. If my prayers are going to be answered, I have to do all this work beforehand so I can get set up. No, our righteousness is not found in that. Our righteousness is found in Christ. It's because of what we've been given to him. Because of the cross, we get to pray effectively. And now you get to walk out of these doors praying God's will, <laughs> praying with expectancy, praying that he will move, praying that those who are far from him will come to know him. See, we get to be a people of prayer because we're not the ones answering our prayers. It's not about us doing work. It's not about us doing whatever we can so that things can happen. But we get to pay powerful and effective prayers in righteousness because of what Christ has given to us. And now here's my challenge for you. How can you start paying powerful and effective prayers? What can you start doing moving forward and saying, you know what? I'm tired of just praying that just like my family will be good. I'm tired of just praying that my job, I'm tired of praying me, 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 and me. And I'm ready to start praying them, 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 them. Maybe it's something as, as in just, you know, giving up a certain morning of the week and saying, you know what? I'm gonna take this week and I'm gonna pray for missionaries. Maybe take a certain moment of the week and say, you know what? I really want to pray for my neighbors. Even though that they're annoying, I want them to know Jesus too. How can you begin a prayer life that's not just uh, every once in a while, not just half full, not just even full, but something that's overflowing? And not overflowing because of something you can do, but overflowing with what Christ has already done. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, that, that you loved us so much, Lord that you would send your son down here to earth and, and die even though he didn't deserve it. Even though he was perfect, he did it anyway because you wanted us to be with you. Lord, I pray that we begin a, a prayer life of powerful and effective prayers, Lord, because we stop putting our prayers into what we can do and we start putting our prayers into what you can do. 
Lord, I pray that we walk out of here not just with a, oh man, now I feel good, but, but an attitude of saying, God, I want you to move in this city. God, I want you to move in these schools. God, I want you to move in my family. God, I want you to move in my neighborhoods, Lord. Lord, use me. I want to prioritize your will. I want to be full of expectancy. And Lord, I want others to know you. We pray for that in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, Freedom Church, we love you. We're so glad that you joined us here today. And we will see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.